Good morning. This is 3CR Community Radio and you are listening to The Gardening Show. I'm Virginia Haywood and I'm replacing Pam Vardy because unfortunately she has retired. We're going to miss her and we hope that as Stephen and I take over we don't make too many mistakes. If, if I do, please be patient with me. In the studio this morning, we have got Chloe Foster, who is a horticulturalist and a lecturer in horticulture, and we've got John Arnott, who is the manager of Hort at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, everyone. We're on air and live in the studio, and I'm just, I'm so happy to be back. I really missed it last year. (laughs) It was extraordinary how good our shows were when they were replayed. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed listening to the replays as well and even, you know, learnt a little bit. Yes, A little bit extra that I missed. And when good I morning, John. Hey, how are you folks? Hey, um, we're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> and I did think that we wouldn't be able to be on today. And, and we're so lucky to be here today too. Yes. Radio is considered an essential service. Yeah. We yep. did have to jiggle things around so it's a bit different to normal, but nevertheless, ahead we go. So I'm very, very pleased. And 3CR, what a wonderful institution. Yeah. And connecting folks... Um, through the through the lockdown, yes. you know, mm. it, the gardening community can stay connected uh, virtually through this this medium. It's terrific. And gardening was one thing that kept a lot of people sane through lockdowns as well. Oh, Let's uh, get on to it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, it just really spoke to how important it is to connect with the natural world. I think, I mean, that, that, we talk silver linings, which is a, just a, a, one of those terms. Um, but really, the, the, the lockdown and the correlation between people getting out into the garden, exercising, going for walks, um, you can't buy a bicycle um, mm. because bicycles sold out. <laughs> Ex- you really? Know, people, just, the people just, through the lockdown, just needed to get out of doors, mm. get in the garden, and exercise. Exercise. And exercise outside, outside instead of in gyms all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was a relief to get to be outside, even if it was for one hour or two hours, yeah, you know, that indeed. we were allowed. And Sue, who is one of our presenters, said to me one day, oh, there's fantastic salvias in Bunnings. So two days later, I shot down to Bunnings, which, you know, it's not that close from Seville, so it took me two days. By the time I got there, they're all gone. And I said... <laughs> What happened to the salvias? She said, we just sell out of everything. Mm. And I think some of the, uh, the nurseries have actually mm. done quite well out of it. Horticulture in general has done mm. really, really well. We're lu- very lucky as an industry over, yeah. you know, I think a lot of landscapers and maintenance had to stop in the stage four lockdown the first time. Um, <coughs> and they might have to take a few, you know, a bit of a break this week. Mm. Um, but gardening and horticulture has absolutely boomed. Nurseries have sold out of everything. I was speaking to Sue before Christmas, and, and they, if they didn't sell out of their stock during our lockdown, um, I know a lot of other nurseries that I heard about had excess stock, so they sent it interstate. So they're like nurseries are just out of everything at the moment, and yeah. there's a bit of a lag because it takes plants a while to grow. There's a bit of a lag to, to catch which, up, which, which is you, why we still can't get hold of some stuff. Yeah. And if you go to places like Craig or Stephen, because they grow their own, they still have yeah. things there. So mm. it's they important are self-sufficient. To, <laughs> yeah. to go places like Craig in Olinda, yep. Gentiana or Stephen at Dixonia Rare Plants in Macedon, because yeah. they actually grow their own mm. stock. 
But I, Sue, of course, works for a wholesaler. And happy birthday, Sue. It was Sue's birthday yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> and she works for a wholesaler, and I know they have been incredibly busy and yeah. are really low on stock. Mm. Well, I'm, I have an association with the Diggers Club um, these days, and you know, Diggers was just under the pump mm. in, tr- in, in terms of meeting the, the demand. You know, it was a it was a you know, challenging opportunity, all in the same all, all, all in the same you know situation. It was really, and yet some of them are closing. I, I heard yesterday that the there's a quite a big nursery in Hillsville, and it's apparently closing. Really? Oh no, which I'm really sad about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a retail nursery. Retail, yeah. yes. And, and yet Antique Perennials has now opened a retail arm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so maybe it's a bit patchy. But, yeah. but uh, I think as a general rule that, you know, horticulture I, and, yes. you know, it has, it, it, it's been a purple patch mm. yep. uh, for, for just people getting into the garden. And, and lots of first-time gardeners, lots of people yeah. getting into the garden for the first time yep. or having a crack at horticulture or a crack at growing veggies or a crack at growing herbs, you know, for the first time. And then they've, they've realised that nothing succeeds like success. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a crop and you harvest it. I mean, you know that sense. Like we all get it, even seasoned gardeners, when you're, when you're harvesting a crop, oh, yes. you know, it, there's a, just that sense of oh, well-being and, I don't know. Achievement. Achievement. Yeah, that something has... That you haven't killed something, like that you're not a murderer. <laughs> I mean, I don't like um, zucchini. Is not my favourite vegetable in the okay. world, but man, are they fun to grow? <laughs> they, in you know, you don't go down the veggie patch for a day or so, and um, they've grown like thirty centimetres. They're just massive. It's like, all right, googling zucchini recipes. So, and then you know, you make something and then you eat it, and like, oh, this tastes better than what you can get at the supermarket. Yeah. And it's so true with tomatoes. Oh, and tomatoes, yeah. Except my, my didn't put any um, grit in mine, and mine were lacking in calcium. They've got some of them have got bottom end rot. Oh, really? Oh, that's what that is. Mm. Calcium. Oh, calcium. Yeah. So lime. Yes, and eggshells. I eat eggs. Egg, uh, egg I collect. Shells. I never put eggshells in the compost. They all get crushed into a jar. Mm. Yeah. And, and wander around my garden. I, I reckon I might have a little bit of that starting in our little yes, tomato patch at the moment. Yes, eggshells. Is it too late? Well, well it, it might, might be. be a little but bit. It, mm, but it's the, also, it's not, John, because you know if you're seeing this that your soil is, I mean, but, uh, so what for the tomatoes? I mean, obviously the soil needs calcium. Yeah. 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 Gr- yeah. I'd, I'd grind them up well and water it in really well because... Eggshells take and grit takes a while mm, to, break to, down. to break down. Yeah. Calcium isn't super mobile yeah. in the soil, so maybe a bit of lime might help adjust that well, pH the, or something. Yeah. That is the question: which pH does calcium need to be absorbed? Because that could be my problem. That my it, it could be. I mean, acid. acidic soils um, need lime, mm. um, so it could be. Yeah, I mean that's the situation at the Cranbourne Gardens. We've got hyperacidic sand, and and yes. we've been applying lime. Uh, and getting some great results for years. Yeah, mm. yeah. Calcium m- more needs that neutral pH. It's seven. not. Yeah, about seven. Yep, it's not. Um, it's not in um, very high supply either side of six and a half to seven and a half. Yeah, right. So you really want that neutral. Yeah. Okay. Neutral. I've got a theory with the eggshells to yep. to make them more accessible more quickly. Stick them in the um, the food processor. Yes. Or the thermomix yeah. or something like that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just make a. Um, uh, an eggshell powder. powder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pulverise it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, can I say, this is the 3CR Garden Show on 3CR Community Radio. <laughs> if you wish to give us a ring and ask us a question, ring 94190155. And if you wish to send us a text message, ring 0488809855. The text and number is something that's new for us. For us it is. Yeah. Excellent. And so it'll come straight onto the screen. Yep. So our listeners can, I mean, please nice comments. We'll make it constructive. <laughs> constructive <laughs> criticism, folks. <Yeah. laughs> um, but you can send us text messages with your questions if you don't want to call in. Yes. And also, if we're a bit bamboozled by and you know the answer you can oh, text perfect. us in the answer immediately and it comes up on our screen straight away we screen. can see yeah perfect perfect no isn't technology amazing <laughs> <laughs> it's very comforting yeah it is <laughs> i mean the other the other thing with the the lockdown is that we had more time in our gardens mm-hmm. not not only did, did folks maybe go out and access and get gardening for the first time but seasoned gardeners possibly had a little bit more time to to curate to tend um, to make to, observations. To, to make observations, to do plant husbandry and... Um, Clover, pest, you, control. pest control. Pest <clears> control. <throat> mega pest and disease control. I was just telling you guys before we went on air, I picked every single um, affected <laughs> leaf off my peach tree that had peach leaf curl on it. And I thought, I'll, I'll see what happens. So I picked every leaf. I've got about two um, buckets worth of leaves. Um, Which, what did you do with them? I put them in the rubbish bin because my local council, I'm in Maroondah, they, we don't have FOGO, which means that our green waste isn't hot composted. Okay. So I didn't want to spread peach leaf curl throughout bush mulch. Good call. Um, so I wasn't sure if I would just keep getting the leaf curled back. Um, and it didn't come back. The odd leaf did. And I picked them off as well because yeah. I had a lot of time on my hands. So I'm, I'm trying. How big's your peach tree? It's a it's a dwarf peach tree. Okay. So it was very so very achievable to do. No, I wasn't. It was <laughs> it's shorter than me, <laughs> and I'm not tall, uh, but it is wider than me. <laughs> and I picked up. There was a few leaves on the ground, so I picked up those as well. Removed the affected leaves. I also just as a bit of an experiment, just sprayed it with a. Um, bicarb soda solution so bicarb is highly alkaline with the idea of maybe changing the pH on the surface of the leaves and the stems to discourage and make it a really bad environment for the fungus to grow in. Same theory as milk on roses. Yes, yeah. Yeah, And I I did hear, I don't know whether this listener is listening this morning or not A, a listener called up a couple of years ago really early on in the show and talked about it was either um bicarb soda that he used or something like potassium bicarbonate which is laundry soda or washing soda or okay. something washing soda uh, he, Stephen talks about washing right, soda right and he used yeah. to use it or he would use it on um, oh, what's it, brown rot on okay. peach and nectarine trees yeah, right. and just spray it quite regularly while it was fruiting as well because it's a relatively you know it's not a, a harsh chem- dangerous chemical or anything and that's how he dealt with the disease there, with the idea of it changing the pH on the surface. Uh, so I tried that with a peach leaf curl. I, I sprayed it with bicarb a couple of times, and then the leaves weren't growing back. I think it was the act of me physically removing those leaves. 
that actually did that actually did the trick. And that speaks to uh, I don't know controlling pests and diseases rather than eliminating with harsh chemicals. Mm. Like elimination is, I mean, you can do it, but do you really need to? Mm. Whereas you could actually control it to a level where it's not going to affect the plant, not going to affect the crop, not going to affect the presentation of the particular thing, but. You well, know, I mean, so close to a much more gentle, <coughs> gentle approach. Yeah. One of the things I keep seeing on Facebook is this sort of machine, well, not a machine, but this tool that drills into the soil to make it easier for you to plant. And I look at it and I think, what the hell is that doing to the mycorrhizae, the worms? Mm. I mean, I've switched from using the spade to using a fork most of the time. For planting? Yes. Or for just, but just for generally, dig, dig. because mm. I, I, I'm sick of killing worms. Yeah, slicing them in half. Yes. So, but this this thing that they're advertising on Facebook all the time, it drills down. Yeah, it's an soil. auger, an auger, machine but auger. Yeah, they're giant drills. Yeah, but this is for the home gardener. Yeah, yeah I've seen I've seen that ad too. Yeah, I have too. And, and I don't like it. it well, in that ad, he's digging into really soft soil. He's drilling into soft soil as well. Which is ridiculous. You don't really need it. No. I have used an auger before in a friend's garden in Warrandyte. So Warrandyte, hard clay soil. We needed it there. Sometimes you need it. And all, I mean, you, yeah. it, I'm not going to use a fork if I'm trying to put in a fence. Mm. There are times when you need to drill into the soil, but just doing it as a normal thing, I just think nobody talks about the mycorrhizae. Yeah. yeah. Nobody talks about. We're all still those learning things. about it too. Yeah, There's so much certainly. we don't know. Yeah. But the other thing, look, I I I've seen that ad, and you know, I, I looked at that and I thought, okay, if you if you do that to fluff up the soil and you make a nice big um, hole. That you're going to have to dig it out anyway. <laughs> like all it does is, is yeah. just just decompact the soil, and then yeah. you're going to have to get your spade to dig a hole. So mm. it doesn't actually dig a hole. Um, but I've but in, I'd imagine in clay soils, what you if, if you just dig the single hole and you drop it out and then you drop your plant into it, you're, you're virtually putting it into a pot. Pot, yes. You know, there's no yeah. prospect of that. So and you'll shine the sides up, and um, and if you're planting a tree and you drop that into this sort of drill hole. Um, there's no way you're going to get a decent tree out of and that because you won't you know get natural roots. That happens. Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah all And the all time. unfortunately, you didn't. You forgot to tease the roots, and the roots are going around, spiraling anyway. Spiraling, and so they'll just stay in that soil and continue to spiral, thinking they're still in a pot. Yep. Yeah. And your history. Yep. Mm. And oh, I don't know. I get a lot of joy out of digging a hole. Yeah. I I have been known. When my daughter turns up to say, Sylvia, will you dig me a hole? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm hole. not as strong as I used to be. I'm no. really yeah. quite aware of it. And sure. my soil, when it's hard, it is hard. Yeah. I mean, I've got fantastic soil, but it, oh dear, it can be hard. So mm. what's, what, is it? It's red. Got, it's a red, red, mm. um, well, I've volcanic. Got, yes. I've, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got a seam of that. Yeah, right. So one of my garden beds is grey. Okay. Some sort of loam. Yeah. But most of it is, is red, which is shocking on the carpets. Oh, yeah. Awful on dogs. Sticks to your Sticks boots. To your boots. <laughs> <laughs> but very good for feeding plants. Yes. yes. And what people don't realise and say, oh, my soil's terrible, it's so clay. And well, clay's got food in it. Yeah. Mm. Sand, like you have at Cranbourne, sand does not have food. No. no. And this is an important thing to remember that you can hate clay. But if you keep putting lots of compost on it, you'll make it much more usable and it does have food for the yep. plants. And if you have sand, if you keep 
putting compost on um, it. Noodling perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Compost and mulch is always the answer. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, uh, well, I, the cranberry sand, but the sand's quite variable. And we're, we're actually just starting to understand the properties, the chemical properties and the physical properties of the sand and getting some really, really good results. The, the Australian Garden was, uh, it sulks in the middle of winter because the sands that we have have actually got a play fraction. Um, it's called a fatty sand, and, and there's fatty a sand, a fatty sand, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, en- we'll have to go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Engineers refer to that type of sand as a, as a well-structured sand, which means... Um, that if you're making a road over the top of it, it's good because it compacts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's a no. compacting sand, not a lot of air in it, and you know roots need air, and um, so it would, space. A, a, and that was about calcium as well. It was about the balance between calcium and magnesium and the physical properties. And you had too much magne- magnesium. The, the, the ratio between the two was out of whack. Um, and then what happens is you get a dispersive sand that gets really hard when it's dry and really sloppy when it's wet. And just by liming using a certain type of lime, uh, a bucken lime is the one that we're using. That calcium-magnesium relationship Balance. is much better. Bang! Wow. We're starting to get some great results, as uh, well as compost. How interesting, yeah. because it's been a constant chat Battle. amongst botanic, the two botanic gardens. Yes. That, oh, but Cranbourne's got this really difficult sand. Yeah, Be- yeah. And it's difficult because you're, it's a subsoil sand. It's a so sub- the Australian Garden has been built on... The bottom of an old mine. Yep, the, it's uh, not lovely topsoil. Nothing sand. like it. The, um, the the site of the the Australian Garden was placed on a sand mine scar, uh, and um, the, it, it used to be the highest point on site. For those that know the site, Trig Point is now the high point. The Australian Garden was actually higher, so but they dug it all out. Yeah, the, it, and this will. It, blows my mind every time I think about it. 35 lineal mid cubic lineal metres high times 20 hectares of sand oh, was stripped off the side. Billions of hectares of sand and was stripped off the side. currently in the mortar of houses in Kew. Yeah, that's Canada. right. <laughs> yeah, it built yeah. half of Melbourne. Yeah, it built half of Melbourne. <laughs> and am I right in thinking that one of the important things, one of the reasons for putting the, the developed garden there was because the bush was so pristine. Yeah. So it had to be saved. Yeah, it was one of those, the site had to meet, there was about four or five criteria. Be within about an hour's drive of Melbourne, have a, have conservation values, biodiversity values in the surrounding landscape, um, be a, 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 have the, the soil properties where you could grow a wide range of Australian plants, and we more or less got that right, um, and you know, a, a, approaching a 1,000 acres back in the day. Mm. So they looked at a whole bunch of sites and... Um, and am I right in thinking that one of the reasons your site was chosen was because it was such good bush, it hadn't been yeah, too Yeah, that's right, was the, and that biodiversity agenda, mm. that high-quality yeah, mm. high bushland, yeah. This is the 3CR Garden Show. If you wish to talk to us, do give us a ring on 94190155 or text us a message on 0488 809 855. And I think that, that we've got a text from Karina saying, good morning team. So good morning, Karina. Thanks for the text. The text is working. <laughs> Excellent. So keep the text coming, please. Yes. yes. It's exciting to see texts, I think. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I hope we get some calls coming through too. So, well. did you, so you killed your leaf curl. Yes. You know one of the things I did 
support. I, I, I know this is the wrong thing to say, but I did enjoy lockdown. It I meant I too. no longer had to drive to Melbourne. Yeah. And I just gardened. And I, I, I fixed up my driveway, which had been needing it for, for years, and I just was getting bigger and bigger puddles. And I thought, oh, well, it's a lot of money, but time to do it. So I, it meant that I had the driveway person coming in regularly, which gave me a bit of company, which was really nice. <laughs> he was a wonderful man called Stephen, local. And so that was fun, fixing the driveway. <laughs> and then I built a rock garden. Oh, nice. yeah. Well, I've had such trouble mowing under one, of, particularly one of the gum trees, because the roots are so high on the surface. So the gum suffers, the mower suffers, but you have to mow. Oh, no, I saw a huge red-bellied black in my garden two days ago. Right. In the rocks? No, no, right by the stairs up yeah. to the deck. It was most n- nerve-wracking. My goodness. It looked at me. I looked at it. I went backwards. It went forwards. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, so I thought, and somebody, some friends had given me, they'd moved into a new house in Kew, and they didn't like their, the rock garden in the front of their house. And they said to me, do you want the rocks? And I said, oh, yeah, bring them up to me. And I, they'd just been sitting there for months. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it's a way of protecting these roots, because mm. I was really worried about mowing over these roots mm. all the time. It just didn't feel it could be good for the trees. And the tree can sucker, and that gets ugly. And, and so I covered the roots with rocks, and I now have a rock garden. So that's been quite exciting. <laughs> Are you going to be planting in amongst Ooh, the yes. rock garden? Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> I, I go up to Craig at Olinda, at Gentiana Nursery, and I say, Craig, rock garden. And he's got a great big rock garden in the front of the nursery that you can see. So, and I come away with, you know, 10 plants. So I'm spending up to save the nursery industry. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm not going to Bunnings for it. Spend for Australia. (laughs) (laughs) What sort of things have you been planting? Uh, Well, I also go to Karango. Yeah, good. So I've been buying things, hibertias. Yeah, nice. Small, I I want yellows and purples and oranges in there. So I've been buying... And I've been putting some of the, which I'm getting from Craig, some of the tines. Nice. Because they will just... Do their thing. Yeah. And I put in the other day a climbing salt bush, which had an unusual name, which I, of course, can't remember now. Climbing salt bush. Climbing salt bush. It's so cute. I don't... It it will have flowers, I presume. Has it got small leaves on it? Small leaves that are sort of not triangular, but, you know, that sort of shape. Mm. It's really... Really sweet. I've put a few things in that have just promptly carked it. <laughs> but, you know, that's partly the nature of um, gardening, isn't it? Inida Newtens? Sorry? Inida Newtens? Yes. Yeah, nice. I, think I want another one. I think it's gorgeous. That is a lovely little salt bush. Yeah, it's a lovely and salt bush. And I have bush. terrible trouble with salt bush. I can't grow salt bush. Yeah, you probably got too good a soil. Yeah. No, no, it's not the soil. Is the soil or climate? It's the rabbits. Oh, highly palatable. Highly yeah. palatable. Yeah. I was going yeah. to put salt bush all over my dam. Not a hope. The rabbits adore it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I found one wistringia, which they hate. I think it's called smoky, so there's going to be a lot more smoky. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> How ironic. Do you know the story of smoky at the Cranbourne Gardens? Go, John. <laughs> well, um, that has just endorsed. Uh, that's made me 
kind of happy. <laughs> <laughs> Pleased to make you happy. Um, we had the same issue in the Red Sand Circles at, oh, uh, yes. at the Cranberry Gardens. Yep. We had saltbush in there. We had um, Regodia spinescens, and it was being heavily grazed by the rabbits to the point where it just wasn't to presentation standard. Mm. Um, there Which, was a few issues with it. That's not hard. Yeah. For, for, for botanic gardens. Yeah, that, and that's... My standards aren't nearly as high, but they still ruined them. Well, the mm. first thing that you did when you walked into the Cranberry Gardens is see this really crappy um, uh, Brigodia spinescence display, which was just substandard. It was terrible because of rabbit predation and that palatability. So we had to do something about it. We fixed the soil up and we replanted with restringious, smoky of all things. So... Fantastic. And they leave so I'm right. I'll get more. Y- 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 yeah. uh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm having you. No, sorry. I, 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 you can get more. That's completely your call. <laughs> I, I just have a uh, an aversion to plant variegation. Oh, as do I. I'm not mad, but it's not terribly variegated. No, I oh know. I mean, you it have to get down on your knees to see that it's very Yeah, that's it right. And maybe, like even put, and maybe even for me p- to put my glasses on to see it. <laughs> very, there, are, there is worse variegated foliage. Oh, out there are. There. Yeah, no, and lucky uh, that that wastringia has a slightly grey hint. Yep. So the yellow kind of merges in with the bit that's supposed to be a leaf colour. Yeah. I don't like wastringia much anyway. So I don't have them in the garden. It's not my favourite. It's not my favourite But plant. it is a useful plant. It's fantastic. Yeah. I have got black rabbits. I ate one the other day. <laughs> Somebody skinned it for me. But when I jillarooed a very, very long time ago, 100 miles out of Munglanup, which is about 300 miles out of Perth. Oh, so what a great town name, sorry. Munglanup. <laughs> yes. And what a hard place. And yeah. they had a rabbit plague. And the old geezer on the property said to me, you, oh, and we used to go out at night and catch them by hand and we would fill up the chook because run. They were so because they were so dense, mm. really. And we'd fill up the chook run and none of us would eat rabbit. We were crutching fly-blown sheep all day and catching rabbits at night. It was hideous. <laughs> but anyway, the old geezer on the property said, you see, one black rabbit for every thousand rabbits. Right. I've seen two and killed one. Right. Well, the ferrets killed one. Yeah. So that's how bad the rabbit problem is at my place. Really? And yeah. I'm not prepared. I mean, I've also... The other thing I did, my other lockdown project, was making my vegetable garden rat-proof. And I can't tell you how difficult it is because rats are very... Bleeding clever. Oh yeah. You should plant some gastrolobium. I have. Okay. Have they eaten it? Um, no. And the rab- the rabbits ate one of them, but only one. I wonder if they had a bit of a gut take afterwards. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so most of people know that ten eighty rabbit no, poison. I don't think most people won't know. Oh, okay. If people don't know, ten eighty rabbit poison and f- that they use for fox poison as well comes from a chemical compound in Gastrolobium celsianum. Mm-hmm. Is it the Swan River pea? Is that its common name? That works, yeah. I think. And I've got yeah. that all over my dam and they leave that alone. Yep. Yeah, and yep. there's another species of gastrolobium as well that's supposed to deter possums. But ah, I... well, uh, if you have a look at our screen, John from Hampton is worried about possums who okay. are eating his pistachio. They don't eat my pistachio, or my dad, John. So, Virginia, you can. John's on the line, so we can oh. put him on air. Sorry, silly me. That's all right. No, no. Press the line seven button. I have to get put my glasses on. I read that as potassium problem. <laughs> potassium. <laughs> Hello, John. Ah, good morning. Good morning, hey, John. John. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I've got sort of a fairly boringly 
predictable question about the possum problem. But we, we, where we are, we've always had a few around. You know, they, it's quite a leafy garden, so um, they, it's hard to eradicate them. You can't really eradicate them or gently move them on because they just simply come back. But so we've, we've lived with them for all this time and put up with the various bits of damage. But um, I've used um, one solution I found was putting fine. Um, chicken wire up through the branches if, if the tree was big enough, you know, to, to take that. But with the Chinese pistachio, which is only about two to three years old, and it's a lovely tree because of the way it changes colour, the, the branch structure is not that strong enough to take too much of the wire through it. But for some reason, they, st they still keep... Something eats it. And I've ha I have assumed that it would be possums because of the... The sort of it's quite extensive sort of damage. Although they seem to have started from the top and they're working down. Yes. They're eating yeah. the leaves. They eat the leaves yeah. and leave. Uh, and the, sometimes some of the branches are a bit broken. The finer ones, it looks like the weight of them is broken and something. Else. Do, so do you know I, the, the little ringtail possums or the? the, the, well, the, the we've got the ringtail ones are the ones that are the most common, but yep. we've had the bushy tail ones too on the odd occasion. Uh, it could, they're quite heavy, yep. really. Sometimes they can grow quite big, I've noticed. But it's, I was just so surprised that, um, that they would attack that particular type of tree. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a terrible shame. They're very um, broad grazers. They'll, yep. they'll, they will eat anything they, if it's nice and leafy and yes, fleshy. Yes. My brother saved his magnolia by feeding the possum, putting a bit of food on the roof every night. Oh, right. His wife yeah. desperately yeah. wanted to kill them, which, of course, we all told her was a disgusting idea. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't think so because she thought her roses were more important. Yeah, well, you could put out a possum, yeah, some an apple, half well, an he, apple yeah. each night. That's what he did. He fed them and they left his magnolias yeah. alone. So, yeah. Is the pistachio, um, is it isolated in a, in a, in a lawn or is well, it, does it have canopy uh, connection to other plants? Is, I've looked at the canopy thing and it is isolated as much as possible because um, I know that that's, they move around like that. We do have, it's not a great sort of pan canopy in that sense, but yeah. I've seen them jump across things yes. anyway. Mm. You know, okay. So. Is, is, there any, is there any way of um, making that, that gap between the, the, the canopy, reducing that canopy linkage um, yeah. so the possums are going to have to go down onto the ground That's and then right. access yeah, the well, pistachio from I, the ground? I thought of covering the whole top with some, um, you know, perhaps that lighter sort of stuff. The, um, but you, you know, then run into trouble of trapping birds. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's that. I don't want to do that. No. So if you, if, if you can sort of minimise that canopy linkage to the surrounding vegetation, yeah. that provides mm -hmm. you the opportunity to put yeah, one of those polystyrene, polypropylene um, collars on uh, oh, yeah. so they actually can't yeah. climb up the trunk. So you sort of isolate. Yeah. So that's yeah. a legitimate strategy to kind of isolate that particular yeah. tree. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. possums tend... Well, I mean, they're opportunists, but they, they're, they also, they're also habitual, yeah. Mm. So if, if you can exclude the possums by isolation, um, it's yeah. likely that they'll, they'll uh, habituate on, and, on other plants in your garden, and you might just be moving the problem, um, yeah. but potentially allowing your pistachio to establish. And that's, to what, that's what it needs, because it's, it's only 
two to three years old, it's it's hasn't had a real chance to get, to establish itself, make it a, a stronger tree. But um, I'm worried that they'll a couple of another year of this, and they'll wipe it out completely. It's, it's possibly small enough, still small enough to be able to spray a, a deterrent on, like a poss off or. You know, yeah. there's chili garlic, chili, garlic quasi mm-hmm. chips. There's a uh, molasses. So there's, oh, yeah. well, there's a, a there's a bunch of those things that that um, the possums have a, a a nibble on the plant and go, that's a bit bitter. Yeah. Or and then again, if you can get them to move and uh, yeah. move on, because they are yes. both opportunistic and habitual. But if you can are. move them on. I think the main game is to get that establishment going, particularly yeah, at this point. Yeah, once you get that, because we had another tree, a, bit, a lime tree, where they did the same thing, and this is a, I found the wire thing was the only thing that stopped them, because um, it would re- it had reached the point where they were sort of ring barking every um, every branch on yeah, the thing. Right. But eventually, they did the wire thing did work, and they went away, and the tree just came back and it grew. You know, a couple of years later, it was fine. But um, I find that with the rabbits, they ring bark my things, young trees yeah. all the time yeah. because rabbits' teeth don't actually stop growing, so they have to, have gnaw to gnaw them to keep yeah. them in order. Yeah, and boy, do they like my place. <laughs> <laughs> well, another question I had in relation to this was when they have taken all the leaves off the leaf off of the branches, you know, the upper ones which are still are very fine, you know, trimming it back. I mean, uh, in, in once the leaves fall off, it's a deciduous tree anyway. Um, mm-hmm. you, 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 trimming it back is not going to do harm the plant at all, is it? Uh, light I trimming? Tr- I don't yeah. think you should trim, no. trim it until but it's much bigger. Because, yeah, that's what I was, because you, if you trim a tree when it's young... Yeah. You, you run the risk of making a lollipop tree. You, yeah. you really need the tree to yeah. grow and actually right. get up before you mm. start trimming the under, under story of it. Yeah. Because you, you make it peculiar. And the, yeah, I mean, the problem right. is well, with, was... on the Warburton Trail, there's an extremely beautiful, huge old oak. It's well over yeah. 100 years old. And the possums have just been grazing it for years and years and years, <laughs> and it is now beginning to senesce. Mm. It's going to die. Yeah. Because it's lost so much of its top. That's right, yeah. And so you do have that problem. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, I'll, I'll just have I, to I be, mean, uh, maybe just for a, a week or a couple of weeks, if you throw, I don't know, a sheet over every night or something yeah, well, like that. Yeah, that's why I thought that was the only thing. Because the thing with something at... like a sheet, it's got, if you just throw it over at night and then take it off, yeah. well, you're not going to disturb the birds that way. You're not going to... No, trap no, things right. by their feet because yeah. this is my no. trouble with the rabbits I want to kill them but if I poison <laughs> well, them you know what happens I've got, got, I've, got, stuff, yeah, yeah. I've got wedge tails yeah. in, in the valley you yeah. know I, I've got yeah. dogs on yeah, the property I don't yeah. I don't even want to kill my neighbour's cat that way <laughs> <laughs> well the thing, is, the thing is when you see the possums around you know that, the small ones are, they're, they're, they're gorgeous so, um, so attractive little creatures, you know, all the homicidal sort of thoughts that one had about them before, <laughs> look at it, after you've looked at the damage, you know, it sort of vanishes a bit. And, um, oh, they're, they're uh, gorgeous. They are, uh, and my, they, my sister-in-law is completely wrong in thinking that murder is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like everything else, they're simply trying, just simply want to stay alive. So yes. you can't blame them for that, I suppose. So. And they have got rights. 
Of course, that's right. <laughs> well, anyway, best anyway, of luck, John. Oh, thank you for your uh, advice. That's very handy. Uh, but, uh, also, at Hampton, we have very sandy soil too, and I uh, endorse your your solution for more compost and um, yes. other things. Yes, mulching compost, John. Yep. It's about the only thing that works, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Good again. on you, John. Thanks for calling, John. We've had someone come through on the text message line asking, Sally from South Melbourne wants to know what natives to plan on her south-facing nature strip. One assumes even though it's south-facing, it should still get some. I would assume the same thing. Yep. But will it protect it from the north wind, which actually, in my opinion, is much more important than the sun. The north wind is the killer in Victoria. And, but maybe being in South Melbourne, a bit more protected from some of those hot winds, you wouldn't be as protected because you're in a bit more of an open yeah. area. Yeah, on top of a hill. So, yeah. so let's assume that there's a bit of shade factor in winter. I mean, that south-facing, it, it gets exa- at this time of year, it's probably fine. Yeah. Um, you know, because the arc of the sun's a bit higher. But in, you know, in the middle of winter when that arc's a bit lower, it, 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 it's a, assuming that there's less less light You may in not get direct sunlight until in, 11, 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning, and then you, it'd be finished by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Corriers are pretty good at, at that. Yes. Um, plants that sort of grow naturally in the understory of other things. I was so going to say some local indigenous or Melbourne plants yeah, that yeah. grow in the undergrowth. As, as forest plants or yeah. woodland plants. Yep. So there are local corriers. Some yep. of the local Illyrias, the daisy bush, Beautiful. would do well in, yeah, um, would. in a shadier spot. And spiridium nice. as well spiridium. is a favourite. Beautiful colour Particularly leaf. that kangaroo island spiridium. That one is beautiful. That one is beautiful. There's a local native nursery, it used to be called Skink, yeah. in St Kilda. I can't remember yeah. what it's called now. I think it's still called Skink. Okay. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. No, maybe it's not, but there is a local... There is a local nursery in St Kilda, um, if you type, if she types that into um, a Google search. And there is the one in Fairfield too, which is not too far. Yes, Skink and Vink. Mm. <laughs> Indigenous and nursery co-ops, that's what they are, <laughs> yeah. uh, that have And she may want stock. a tree. And she may want a tree, so banksia. Yeah, banksia. Banksia marginata. What you want on on outside the front of your house is a tree that will give you shade for your car in summer, but not drop branches and smash your car. Meaning not a eucalyptus. Yeah, so maybe not a gum tree. (laughs) No, I wouldn't put a gum tree, and I have lost so many lately. Yeah, and. Just very quickly, so exciting. Yesterday, when we were trying to remove yet another broken branch from the gum tree, we saw a sugar glider. Oh, fantastic. Oh, wow. Fantastic. I was so excited. Yeah, pump the air. That's yeah. exciting. <laughs> but anyway, back to the serious question. Um, yeah, Dianella's do okay yep. in, no, in, no, that's in the like show? Tree. I'm looking for a tree. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, a tree. tree. Oh, well, uh, I'm assuming she might like a tree. Oh, south, south facing, it opens up all manner of things. Even though it's south facing, the thing we have to assume is that not this summer, but any other summer, it's going to be water stressed. So mm. it needs still to be quite hardy. Like I would say she can't put a native French penny there, for example. Where, so where was Sally? Sally? South Melbourne. South Melbourne. Um, yeah, no, I, I, all manner of trees. It's really about the aesthetic. Um, it's about the shape of the tree, the um, size of the tree, the look and feel of the tree. Um, Calistamon's bottle brushes are a popular perfect. street tree. Yeah. What about yes? What about crevillias? You don't often see them as street trees. I tell you, no. the other thing you do often see 
so I probably forget the name. The, are you thinking of like a large shrub grevillea to put yeah, in? Yeah, because they're beautiful. Yeah. I mean, my grevilleas are 15, 20 foot high. Yeah. What, what grevilleas have you got? I don't know. It's got a <laughs> pale, um, a pale leaf, a pale. Uh, Oh, the pale, oh, I think it might be Pink Surprise or Misty Pink. Misty I've pink. seen Misty Pink's beautiful. That can get, that can get up. That can get up there too. I mean, the moonlight as well. When, when I think grevilleas and trees, I, th- I go to Robusta, which is a big tree. No, that's big too tree. big. Yeah, too big. Yeah, and too big. borderline weedy. And borderline weedy, yeah, yeah. South Melbourne, weedy is not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, Let's be no, realistic. That's right. <laughs> Um, Tristaniopsis lorea is a really nice. That's a really nice tree. Gum. And there's a couple of um, and cultivars are, yes. uh, which are which are looking really quite because the ones in the botanic garden are multi-trunked and and spread incredibly wide. But all over Clifton Hill, they've been used as a street tree, and they are beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful. Try the Tristaniopsis, Sally. And uh, I think. Is a cultivar called Luscious? Luscious, that's the one. It's a dwarf yeah. one if she doesn't mm. want anything that's too big. It's beautiful foliage. It really, really is. Really lovely. Yep. 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 Okay, we've done that quite well. Now we have <laughs> another text message. One saying, great to have you all back. Thank you very much. Can't wait to hear all about Chloe's success with leaf curls. So <laughs> that's from Oppie from Fitzroy. And then somebody else has asked us, hi team, Moved into a fresh property in St Kilda, wanting to saturate the bathroom with indoor ferns, maidenhair, bostons, etc. Never done gardening before, be under pot plant or two, and don't know any quality nurseries nearby. So, St Kilda. Job seeker limits my spending. I jump on Facebook Marketplace and try to get hold of some free or some very cheap. Yep. Indoor plants that people might have been growing during ISO. Yep. You could buy one pot of devil's ivy and propagate it uh, yourself. It's very prolific and it's good in bathrooms as well, the old devil's ivy. The mother-in-law's tongue would be good in a bathroom too, so that's better in a low-light spot. What are some more in low light? So the ones with more purpley colour in their flower are, are often better in, in areas with low light. Aspidistras. Yeah, cast iron cast plant. Cast iron plant. Yeah, you yep. wouldn't kill. You really wouldn't kill they that can't. one. No, you cannot kill that one. And of course, all the nurseries are now providing uh, quite a lot of indoor plants because they're so incredibly um, popular. So popular. But be careful because because they've become so popular, they're asking ridiculous prices for yeah. very yeah. ordinary yeah. plants. So yeah, do but not plants that are easy to propagate too. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. If you if you get a few of them, you'll be able to actually grow your numbers by propagating if you just look up how to do it because some of it is very easy. One of the things that mistakes that people often make with indoor plants is overwatering and underwatering. And the symptoms that come up on your plant are often uh, quite similar. They'll sort of show either wilty leaves that are dry and wilty, which means there's not enough water to the plant, or wet and wilty, which means it's getting the plant is too wet. So you need to have a really consistent watering regime with your indoor plants. And whether it's hers, it's every day. Every day for maidenhair. Mm. For some of them, it might be every two weeks. Yes. Exactly. Or it might be three times a week in summer when the plant's actively growing. Yeah. And then once a month in winter yep. when the plant's not growing at all. Yep. And there's nothing like a finger to tell what the state of the soil is. That is the only way to tell. There are these absolutely ridiculous... 
like useless soil probes yeah. out there, and they're inaccurate. People just finger. Finger. get your hand, get your finger a little bit dirty, and do not leave. Don't be a princess, and do not leave your plants indoors sitting in sources full of water. Because so, every soil must have oxygen for the plant to survive, and if you let it sit in water, it, they will literally drown. Yeah. yeah. And, and the opposite of that, of that, the opposite of that situation is when it, when it becomes hydrophobic. Like you think you're watering it, but the water's just it's running straight through. through. Yeah. And that's often the case with indoor plants. Once, a pot, once depends on the potting mix, but a lot of potting mixes, once they dry out, they're they're really difficult to wet up again. Yeah. And literally the only way of doing it is, is to soak. stick it in a bucket. Yes, yeah, with some sea salt, with seaweed With some sea salt, even better. Yeah. <clears throat> and wait until all the bubbles have finished bubbling. Yeah. And um, you've rehydrated that root ball. Yeah. We've now got a call from Doug in Altona North. Hello, Doug. Hello, Virginia, Chloe and John. How are you going? Hi, Doug. Hey, How Doug. are you going? What's I'm your question? I tuned in this morning expecting a replay, so that was um, that was good. Uh, it's good, great to hear you live on the on the radio. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, good thanks on you. for tuning in. <laughs> I, just before I was listening to the show, I was reading an ABC online news article about a group of consumers who purchased mulch from a recycler. Um, they then found that a lot of their crops died. Um, there's been a bit of a, a an um, they're doing a bit of a look into it, and apparently it may be caused by anoxy acid herbicides used in agriculture. So I thought that sort of tied in with your conversation this morning about microbes in the soil and things and how important it is to be careful of what goes into the system because you never know where it comes out, do you? I think yeah. that's so true. I know that I have introduced some horrible things through um, buying in compost, um, yeah. And, uh, and if you can actually do your own, you're actually much safer. Yeah. There is no question about that. And I think particularly I think... when you're looking to buy bulk, that's when you're yeah. likely to get things like poisons. And, you know, it's the problem with our poultry manure and all sorts of things like that. They call it organic because it's natural, but it's not organic. Most poultry manure is full of all sorts of weird stuff that they've fed the poultry with. Mm. Yeah, and, of course, uh, I mean... I use um, horse stuff because there's lots of horses around me, but all the horses get drenched regularly to kill worms in them. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, they, think, they think this might be a broadleaf um, herbicide that's yeah. gone, and, and, and that can even be still consumed by the horses, and apparently it just goes straight through them, but it comes out in the, in the manure. And you're right, I think, all of, I think a lot of the people who are finding problems were buying in bulk, which makes it even worse, doesn't it? Because they probably used it potentially over their whole garden. Absolutely. So, you know, how do you recover from that? It, it, that would be very, very tricky and would probably take a number of years to leach that out of you, no matter how much you did to the soil. It w I think it would still take a long while to fix that. So I know I'd be <coughs> devastated if I threw a mulch around my garden and all of a sudden I came out and things were going because it takes many years to, to make a nice garden. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. And those, you know, inorganic... Uh, systemic herbicides they can persist in soil for a long time mm. yeah, um, yeah. yeah that's that's really problematic isn't it it's um yeah. it, it it oh, i don't know it speaks to to the the need to have I, I guess the control for that is to purchase stuff with the five ticks um, mm. uh, and you know there are accredited composting systems and um 
you know, we were talking earlier about the the the, the peach curl. Mm. The peach curl? Peach curl, yeah. Peach curl. Peach curl. And that if you put that into a into the composting system, if it's not a hot compost and it doesn't get to 68 for X amount of days or whatever the threshold is, mm. that it's going to persist in the soil. So, you know, I think that, you know, buying from reputable sources. Um, yeah, and, and asking, asking them. them. Yeah, <laughs> asking them, have you, do you have, have you tested this? Could you tell us the Has it been hot composted properties? instead of just... Yep. You know, broken down in a pile yep. at the back of an old paddock. They, they, you should be able to ask a garden supplier for a specification of what the soil is, what its chemical properties are, um, and if they can't give it, I wouldn't buy it. Yes, that is. Sorry, Doug, you go. No, I just I think this was a reputable supplier, and I think even with the um, investigating they're doing, they're finding that it's showing up in some of the tests, but not in others. So okay. This shows you how tricky it is to once once these things are used and they get into the system. Could I just add that um, I guess because I, I work in a nursery over here in Altona North, and I've been in nurseries all my life, and, and I remember the chemicals we used to sell when I was <laughs> apprentice and the things that I, I probably used back then. Sort of brings me some terror. But uh, I, I think there's been such a big shift in in nurseries where most of our conversations, and we I live in a um, a highly Greek uh, Italian um, area that has a culture of spraying. Like they just people come in and they just want to go out carrying something that they can use to yep. to, to kill and destroy. Yep. And we really have a lot of conversations now about well that's not the way to go. And it ties in with your blossom end rock conversation about how um, proper gardening practices and you won't end up with these problems. And if you do, it may be just one year that you get it. It may not be the next mm. year. And, you know, you can solve so many good things with looking after your soil, proper pruning um, and things like that, and, and proper, you know, biodiversity, proper pl- the, the right place. The 100%. Right place, the yep. right place, all that sort of stuff. You know, so, that so I think we are moving away from it, but, but it just shows you how nasty these things are. Yeah, it's a right. slow move, but we are getting there, I think. It, yeah, it, I think so. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it, it is about... Oh, look, I 100% um, uh, agree that... that it is about building resilience um, in in your garden and resilience through in your planting through plant health, mm. um, because you know healthy plants are able to sort of ward off or cope with um, you know pest diseases like healthy humans like healthy humans yep. yeah yeah so you yeah. like your immunity yeah. drops and you become much more susceptible to a whole bunch of things. Yep. it's exactly yeah. the same in the plant world. You build that resilience through um, plant health, plant husbandry, integrated management, yeah. integrated not management. just spraying chemicals, but Picking off sure. hand picking leaves and yep. squashing bugs. Um, and the and the knock on thing from from insecticides is that they're they're not targeted. They're tar- yeah, they kill they'll, all the good bugs. But they'll kill mm. the target species. But they'll yeah they'll kill kill all the good most bugs. other most other things. Yeah. I want my I and want my ladybirds. And, and then you end up with a, a then you end up with a a, a a a plant which is devoid of any predators, and it's just a yeah. greenfield site for recolonisation mm. of the of the pest. Mm. Plus, you're not going well, to attract yes. birds. Yeah. And, and using too much fertiliser, <coughs> creating soft growth, it's just, um, you know, the, yes. the little aphids look at that and go, oh, thanks very much, you know. But um, I do quickly, think, Doug, you're completely yeah. right there. I think there's a real problem that we tend to over-fertilise our gardens, which is not good sure. for our lakes and all the rest because it all gets washed away. Nitrification. And I don't think it's a good thing for... Uh, we, over, we do tend to over-fertilise our gardens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Your um your Saint Kilda new gardener 
who wants something for her bathroom. I don't know about St Kilda Markets. I haven't been there, but a lot of the market people are selling little plants and things in now too. So you're right, nurseries um, need to watch their pricing and don't get caught up in the, I've got to have that plant because it's, $50 later, just wait. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. particularly on the online, I see I yes. see um, indoor plant sales in Fitzroy and the queue goes right yes. down the street. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. madness. Yeah, absolutely you madness. You link up with people... You link up with people and gardeners and they will share. Gardeners like nothing better than giving Sharing. them planters. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm. Fantastic, All right, guys, Doug. thanks very much. Yeah, yeah good on you. Great call, call Doug. And, uh, thank you, Doug. Doug. Yeah, have a good day. Cheers. Bye. And Sally called back and said, thank you for the info, looking for ground cover suggestions for her South Melbourne nature strip. Uh, <coughs> Viola Hederacea yep. would be up there. Myoporum. Myoporums would be good. I think the myoporums Dichondra, are good. Dichondra, the kidneyweed would be beautiful green cover. And thyme even as well mm. is a really nice, sort of like a those living mulches that will suppress the weeds and whatever grass used to be on there. I think thyme is an excellent thing, although it's not a native, but it is a wonderful thing to have. One of my other favourites is ground covers is Grevillea Royal Mantle. Just absolute coverage and flowers. Actually, but if it's in a shady spot, it might not do so well. Uh, It'll... it'll Grow. Yeah. It, it'd prefer stronger light, but yeah. it'll, it'll it'll be okay. It might just be a little sparser. A little bit sparser. But it'll yeah, no, it'll still perform mm. there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Well, I think that's. We'll keep calling in. What's that number again, Virginia? The number nine four one nine oh one double five. There's a there's a really cool, um, unusual ground cover. It's a, a, a alocasia in a glauca. Um, ah. But I think it's, what's it called? Is it called Cousin It? Cousin It, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a really interesting ground cover. I was cover thinking yeah. of putting some of that in my rock garden. Nice, yeah. you should. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a shaggy pile. Yeah. It is. It looks like, well, Cousin It or Grug. Or Grug. Grug, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cousin It, I know. Who the hell's Grug? Oh, it's a children's book character. Is it an Australian children's book? I, I don't know. Maybe I might be. I don't know. He, he looks like. The cousin it, Ali Casuarina, and he lives in a swamp or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Kind of like a brown version of Shrek, but not not Noga. I don't know. <laughs> that's a that's a really really good plan. It's like a really plan. interesting architectural yeah. looking thing. When I worked at the gardens, we had a couple of heavy frosts, um, and the tips got a little bit burned. They, yep. The burn showed up, uh, you know, a couple of months later. Yeah. But they were they were fine. Oh, I looked at them yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's it's actually a spe- spectacular ground cover so that that frosting it's just a temporary setback isn't yeah it? and yeah. it just it probably just because they're such a dense plant like grug yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um if, if, it, if it does get frost it just knocks that top off a yeah. little bit yeah. uh, but they're beautiful because over that retaining wall there yeah exactly Cranbourne. yeah yeah on so Hill. Yeah, yeah they're really good over a over a retaining wall yeah too so yeah. think about um our casual cousin cousin it um, the ground cover, the, the, the ground cover she-oak, because yeah. of course Casuarina is the she-oak, the she-oak, a, a huge beautiful tree, yeah, yeah. which the black cockies love. Yep, but cousin it is yeah. not a black cocky. <laughs> <No, one. laughs> and our, our text number phone is, again is o four double eight eight zero nine. Eight five five. If people want to send us our text message, and we have had a text from somebody who says you don't need to go to air. But 1080 was sourced from the Spinosum. 
and it was from Roger. So we can be quite oh, sure he's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Does this bloke know what he's talking oh, about? I reckon Roger might, <laughs> might have know a, a thing or two. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Oh, great. Um, we were talking earlier about kind of our lockdown horticulture, but I'd be, it'd be lovely to hear from listeners as to what they got up to during that you know 120 days of Absolutely. staying within five kilometres of your home, only going out for four reasons. Yeah. I mean, we've got a little micro, let's hope it's a micro version of it now, the five-day yeah. stage four lockdown. But um, Yeah, I'd love it, to hear what people have yeah, been doing. Yeah, be great. Yeah, really love to. Because it's, I, we have to be thankful. Uh, there was a stage in August where Britain yeah. and Australia were at exactly the same Britain, point. Britain and Melbourne. It was just Melbourne or Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we brought the whole of Australia down yeah. with our yeah, outbreak. Yeah. Yeah. And we were in exactly the same point. And the Prime Minister in Britain said, let's go for holidays. And everyone yeah. went off to Europe and came back with the bug. And look at them now. Yeah. And we had yeah. lockdown. It was hideous. We grew things, which was wonderful. Yeah. And we've had so little illness. Lockdown is horrible, and I'm sick of my own company. But I would much rather be in the position we're in right now than the position we're in that they're in overseas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're lucky that we have, you know, got these measures in place. Yeah. And gardens all over Melbourne are saying thank you. Yeah, and yeah. I think gardeners have done quite well in lockdown as well because we're like, yes, lockdown, I can just stay in my garden the whole time. <laughs> well, that was me. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. And, of course, you know, people had to come and feed horses locally and things like that, so I still saw people occasionally, yeah. mm. always outside, always at a distance in gardens. Mm. I was happy. Yeah. I grew. Well, I found out that my neighbour two doors down has uh, beehives in his backyard. I was like, really? I didn't know that before lockdown. <laughs> One, a number of people have asked if they can put beehives at mine. And this is actually, this is a question to you both, because I haven't been that keen on having them. I have got a lot of native bees. I love my, my blue banded. I've got a lot of native insects, you know, wasps, yeah. bees, etc., Surely if I bring in hives and stick them in the paddock, they are going to compete with the natives. Well, yeah, it would increase the competition for um, the flowers that you do have around I do have your a lot area. Of flowers. You do, yeah. Do you already have bees, as in European honeybees, as yes, well? Yes, Yeah, I don't think I'd be... I mean, they do, they can displace. Yes. Yep. yep. And I'm quite happy with the honeybees I've got. Yep. But it seems to me silly to... And people say, oh, you get your own honey. Well, I got a wonderful Italian woman up the highway who sells honey. That'll do me. Yeah. yeah. I don't eat that much of it. Look, the precautionary principle would say don't do it. I mean, we don't... We dis- At the Cranbourne Gardens in the conservation zone and the Australian Garden, we, we kind of discourage um, feral bees, European honeybees, from establishing um, mm. uh, their... <laughs> it's gone straight out of my head. Their... Homes, they're yeah. hives, <laughs> <laughs> um, because of that that displacement of, of of the native bee and wasp population. Yeah, but yes, well, that was my instinct. Yeah, that it's not a good idea. And if there's no lack of honeybees pollinating things anyway, I'd oh, I have no trouble with no, pollination. I'd be yeah, maybe not. Stick with that. Yep, hold on. We ha- we have another call from Laurel in Torquay. Hello, Laurel. Welcome back. I'm just discovering you. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Welcome Fantastic. to the show. 
Thank you. Um, no, I've got a red tail grape. I've had it in a, a raised garden bed, an open-ended raised garden bed um, for about two years, so I don't expect anything much from it other than to let it grow off the gola. But uh, this year I've just suddenly thought I have mint growing at its base, and I'm wondering if I'm doing it a disservice by leaving the mint there. <laughs> You'll have fun getting rid of it. Uh, that's true, but it's worth it, I think. Yes. I know with all my trees, which is completely off the point to a certain extent, but with all my trees, when I removed the grass from around them, they started yeah. to grow much, much better. Yeah. So there yeah. is a question on competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, mint, mint is pretty competitive. It's pretty thirsty. It's, yes, it's thirsty yeah. and I think it's quite hungry, whereas if you had things like thyme or, you know, there's various other things I think wouldn't compete as much. I'd oh, I happily grow thyme. I, I, I grow thyme wherever I can get my hands on it. How um, thick is the trunk of the, the, the grape? Is it like pencil thick or, oh. or thicker than that? A bit thicker, probably half an inch diameter. Half an inch, yeah, yeah. yeah and and it's growing steadily, but not magnificently. Did you mention that that it wasn't a planter? Uh, no, it's in a, what I call a raised garden bed. We've got no topsoil here whatsoever, so um, anything I plant, I either have to cut the bottom off the pot to give it a chance to go down, yeah. or this is a, a raised garden. This is actually a, a sort of a gabion wall type um, raised garden bed. H- how high is the um, the, the, the bed per se. Oh, yeah, I'd say it'd be about 60 centimetres. Yeah, I think I'd be losing the mint mm. and replacing it yeah. with something which was a, a little less competitive. And I also okay. suspect yeah. you won't be losing yeah. the mint, so it's No, no, maybe controlling the mint. So definitely, get as <laughs> yeah. much of it out as you can. It'll come back. Yes. Uh, you, you will lose it in a, in a normal summer, I have to say. I've got mint as a weed. And most mm-hmm. summers I don't have it. It just dies down to the roots like yeah. yeah. But it does yeah. come back. Oh, no, I'll throw a, a, a lump of it somewhere else so I don't lose yeah, do it entirely. In the pot. just too much of it here. Mm. Yes, yes, but, I will. But the yeah. principle of having, you know, um, things co-mingling is it, it's actually really healthy for, for, for trees. Lawn grasses yeah. are very competitive and they pull everything out of the surface, so that might be the exception. But, um, you know, it is it is good to have, you know, different root arrangements and different... You know things. Yeah. You know there's a, there's that sort of healthy soil association. Mono yeah. mono cultures. Just the grape um, is probably less optimum than having a little bit of diversity in there as well. So I think yeah. the principle's and okay. Yeah. What should I um, fertilize it with? Because I really would like to kick it on. It's been in a good two years now. I'm beginning to get a bit frustrated. Do well, you I compost? Knew it would take time. Oh yes. Well, I think that's your best. Just keep pouring the compost. Top, top dressing with compost. Yeah, top dressing with compost. And can I say, I particularly like, other people don't, I understand this, but I particularly like using pea straw as a mulch because okay. you are putting nitrogen in the soil. Now, people say it's not pretty. Well, I, I don't just, think it's that well, ugly. And anyway, it feeds the soil. It breaks down quite quickly. It's a good natural organic fertiliser. Yeah. And it feeds the soil, whereas sugarcane mulch does not feed the soil in the same way and mm. I find forms a mat, which makes the water getting through a bit difficult. For me, sugarcane mm. mulch is a good weed control in my veggie garden, so I do a bit of big mix of both. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You, in you the past, could, you I could found use... blows off too easily. We have rip-roaring 
um, winds. Just every now and again, a huge wind will come through. Yeah. So the salt air might be limiting its growth a little bit as well yeah. with the grape because they've got well, quite delicate leaves. Uh-huh. So that, yeah, if you've got a raised bed, it might be feeling, the, the plant roots might have sort of hit the the subsurface of your, or your original garden level. So the soil underneath that might not be ideal, but also the salt air mm. might be limiting its growth as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, probably compost and, you know, and mulch really well. And you could just give it a seaweed fertiliser once or twice a month. Or if you really wanted to give it a, a kickstart, you know, dynamic lifter would be yeah. probably okay. Yeah. Um, just to, just to get it going. Mm-hmm. Well, that one that comes with the sea salt, what's it called? Plant... Power feed. Power feed. Power feed. Yeah, Power which feed. is the fish emulsion. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Fish, I think or I'd Charlie go, Carp. I'd go for a fish emulsion, I think. I've got Charlie Carp, but I rarely use it, unfortunately. I'm a bit silly that way. Yeah, so have a go at that. Okay. In, in our nutrition subjects that, that we teach at TAFE, one of the, a lot of the teachers find that when they do the nutrition trials, Charlie Carp mm-hmm. far outcompetes every other fertiliser really? that they do. Yep, that they use. In terms of... And can growth, growth, in terms really? of growth, wow. yeah. And so you don't have to use Charlie Carp, but you're looking yeah. for a fish emulsion. Fish emulsion, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I've got Charlie Carp. But um, I must admit, I don't water a great deal. Up until recently, I've had nothing but buckets of rainwater to water Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, so I, I make sure plants have to survive pretty much on their own. So I, I could add Charlie Carp now. I would yeah. I would give it a little bit of Charlie Cup. I wouldn't overdo it. I'd give it, you know, once a mm-hmm. month would be plenty and only while it's growing. So this month, next month, and then it'll start to go dormant. Is it a is it a wine grape or a table grape? No, it's a table grape. Nice. It's a red table grape, seedless, I think, I presume. And two years is short. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be yeah, cross with it. Still young. Yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> I knew I'd have to be patient. Yeah, but a, <laughs> bit, but a bit of nurturing wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. All right, thank you very much for your advice. Thanks for your help. Nice. Thanks, Laurel. Thanks, Laurel. So right, bye-bye. During lockdown, my mother, she sent me a text message, obviously not on our line in the studio here, but on my phone line. This is what she did in lockdown. Yep. Ripped up her front lawn and made it into a garden bed. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I've been... Slowly trying to convince her to do it for ages because the front lawn out the front of their place was just rubbish. And I think lawns are useless anyway um, for, in most circumstances. So we, um, we, we poisoned, we did, her, we did spray it with herbicide to kill the grass. Um, we're about to have it ripped up in August and then we went into stage four lockdown. So she had a yellow-brown lawn mm-hmm. for like 120 Gorgeous. days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was delightful. And then once restrictions eased, our landscaper neighbour brought over his little mini excavator and um, ripped and ripped it all up. Fantastic. Cool. New topsoil. So we put in new topsoil because she wanted to grow some of those really cool, funky WA plants that need well-drained soil. So we got a sandy loam from a local soil supply and mixed that in with the stuff that's already there. So we've got a, um, a raised garden bed now yeah, and slightly, mount, you know, a little bit mounded. And planted a whole heap of plants cool. that like that type of soil. And then it was that like, you know, dry, well-drained soil. We mulched heavily and then it rained for the next two months. <laughs> so some of them are gone, you know, totally not what we expected, no. you know, La Nina summer, yeah, not yeah. now Nino. 
we've lost two. She put in three grafted plants and we've lost two of them. Really? One within the first two weeks wow. and the next one about a month later. It's been too wet, do you think? I don't. I think that didn't transplant contribute. Transplant shock and... Bit of transplant shock. Um, I think incompatible rootstock okay. was also another contributing factor yep. as well. Yep. So what a lot of people may not know is you can graft certain species onto certain rootstocks that will that they will grow on. They're compatible. Compatible, yeah. yeah. So we put in two she put in three grafted grevilleas and one of them is Grevillea bush lemons and that is flourishing at the moment. Loving life. The other two Beautiful. just turn their toes up straight away. That would make because they they're expensive. I would be back to them. Yeah. Mm. We've done a bit of back and forth and I've done a bit of research as well. And I think compatible roots, incompatible rootstock is well, I, can uh, I say being I think grown it, on. That's most unreasonable of the nurseries to be selling your plant that's on incompatible rootstock. I yeah, agree. So We've contacted the wholesale nursery as well, and they've stopped. Re- they've stopped replying to the messages. <laughs> so, like you. yeah, I think they've worked out that someone's worked no, out that they're not doing something that's yeah. maybe not best practice. Mm. So, in the, I think it's in volume. No, no. In one one of the uh, volumes of Roger's Roger and David Jones's encyclopedias, it's either in the Grevillea volume or in volume one at the start talks about compatible rootstocks for, for Grevilleas and uh, and for other plants that are often grafted as well. So we we had a, I had a look in those and discovered that yeah they're not they weren't grafted onto the right rootstock. That's appalling. Yeah, it's a, it's it's pretty disappointing and it, they've come from a very good. Um, wholesale grower so anyway hopefully we just need the soil we just need the soil to dry out and they'll probably be able to they might be able to push through but we mum's going to source them from another place that we know is a little bit better with that sort of stuff well Rosie who's meant to do the phones today but couldn't because of lockdown Mm. Rosie brought up to my place a um, bottle tree the Australian one Brachychitin. Brachychitin. Queensland bottle. Completely went out of my brain. <laughs> and I planted it in, in, and it was, it's, it was already 15 foot high. It was yeah. big, and it had virtually no roots. And I thought, yeah, God, this is never going to survive. It's okay. Anyway, yeah. put it in and just left it there. T- and it promptly blew over. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> put it back up, staked it so it's up. And it's been sitting there for months with not one single leaf on it. Yep. Yep. It's in full leaf. Beautiful. It Ripper. looks fabulous. Yeah. Attila Capitani calls them a succulent. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you can do with succulents. Yeah, it's storing uh, water in its starchy And all its nutrients. Well, I trunk. didn't think we had a hope, and Rosie really wanted it to survive, yeah. and I really wanted it to survive, and I've had this really ugly thing sitting in my front lawn. I don't have lawn. Front grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> and it's completely in leaf. I'm dying for it to come that, up that, to see That it. pink new growth as oh, it pushes through is just something else and it's, it's gorgeous. It's already so big. Yeah. This is the other thing that's quite exciting. We the, have another text message here. My garden is pristine because of lockdown, but why don't my orchids in pots ever flower in, in the season they used to? I've repotted them and fed them. This is from Susan. I don't know. Orchids are not my forte. 
I'm assuming cymbidiums. She doesn't say, but I would assume cymbidiums. Probably. Mm. They're, co- they're really common ones. The strappy leaf. Yeah. yeah. They like to be in tight pots. They really like confinement. Yes, they do. So if they've been repotted recently, that's a very good point, Chloe. Yeah. If they've been repotted recently, they might just they put on growth. need a bit of time. They'll be doing lots of leaf yeah. rather yep. than... And you can get orchid fertilisers to encourage... Um, leaf growth, and you can get a separate fertilisers to encourage flowering as well. So she might want to head down to a local nursery and see if there's um, the separate fertilisers that she might want to yeah. put on them. We, we were talking about, um, you were just talking about establishing your mum's lawn garden. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've had this wet summer, this uh, La Nina summer. I've adored it. Yeah, it's been I good. love it. It's, it's been, been great. But what about the contrast between this summer and last summer? I mean, last summer, southeastern Australia was on fire. Yep. Yes. Um, Shocking. You know, it was just Terrifying. this un- incredible. Like, I think this Shire of Yarra Ranges, which you're in, yeah, I mean, I think it. they declared the fire danger se- season active last week or, yes. two, or, yep. or 10 last days ago. Last week they stopped us burning off. Yeah. So up until that point, there's, yes. there's still been no fire danger in some of the most fire-prone wow. country in, 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 in South yeah. Australia. It's extraordinary. The difference between the two years has just been phenomenal. Well, twelve months ago, you and I were sitting in this studio, exactly 12 months ago, talking about dry tolerant, <laughs> giving gu- listeners gardening tips for dry tolerant for, for, gardening yeah. in, in, in dry climates. This is the best summer for me. This is the first time in about six or seven years that I haven't looked at running out of water in mm. at the end of February. I run out, I, not house water. I, you, I have one tank that I specifically keep for the house. This year I'm using it on the garden because I've got so much water I don't yeah. care. It's yes. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate really hot days. I know people keep saying, oh, we can't go to the beach. I don't go to the beach. I get skin cancer. I go to the beach to swim and then I leave. And if it's 35 degrees, 36 degrees, 37 degrees, for me that is a day where I can't do anything. Mm. I sit all day. I hate sitting all day. Yeah, I have the house closed up, all the blinds down to try to keep it cool. Whereas this summer I've been out virtually every day. Mm. I mean, having lived for 20 years in London, I'm quite capable of going out (laughs) if it's raining. It doesn't stop me doing things if it's raining. Yeah. In fact, I love taking the dogs for a walk when it's raining because there's nobody else on the Warby Trail. They all, <laughs> yeah. they they all run. <laughs> and if you see anybody, you just say, oh, hello, and they're, they're mm. nearly always English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they know how to walk in the they rain. They know how to walk in the rain. <laughs> the, uh, that contrast, it, it just, oh. it's just in, in, incredible. In, indeed, um, I, I think maybe 12 months ago we were talking about the the role of botanic or well, the potential role mm. of botanic gardens. You know, zoos were going into the into the wild and <laughs> rescuing, recovering. Yes, Hills Hill Sanctuary and Melbourne Zoo Melbourne were taken Zoo. in fire affected koalas yeah, and yeah. needed more food for them. Yeah, and, yep. and going into the wild and catching you know bristle birds and establishing emergency populations and those types of things. And at, at that stage, it was a project in prospect. And, and on the Facebook page, we've just dropped a couple of images of some of the field trips that we've done. Uh, in the last couple of months, but uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens of Victoria and a good number of the Cranbourne Garden staff have been in the field, um, going into East Gippsland and so, uh, into some of that fire scar from from last mm-hmm. year's summer, Black Summer, mm. um, 
uh, recovering species, bringing species back into cultivation, monitoring uh, uh, fire-affected uh, populations. Um, so we've been in some remarkable sites. What sort of plants have you collected? Uh, uh, some, some, uh, lots of things that we've talked about earlier. Um, some grevilleas. Yeah. There's a thing called Grevillea jeffcottii that only occurs on Pine Mountain. Yep. Grevillea burrowa. Um, so a bunch of grevilleas. Some spiridiums uh, in far east Gippsland, up in the upper reaches of the Genoa River. There's a spiridium cinerium there, which is you know, you know very very rare. Uh, yeah, look, a whole there's a big long list of um, of, 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 of species. So you're collecting um, vegetative material and seeds. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, collecting seed where we can because yep. that's it, it's easier to store seed in a and seed preserve. store. Yeah. Um, but there's a bunch of species, particularly into Eskip land, that have got what's called recalcitrant seeds so that you can't. They're fleshy seeds that need to germinate soon after they're formed. Yeah. And won't store. And that's called a recalcitrant. Recalcitrant, yeah. Because it has to do it immediately. It's a naughty seed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and uh, I think one of the pictures on the on the Facebook page is of Ficus coronata, um, mm. which is uh, flora and fauna guaranteed. It, it's listed as a threatened species in um, in, in Victoria, mm. and that has recalcitrant seeds. So yeah, we've been in all manner of interesting places in the wild. It's How been thoroughly exciting, in, including uh, a five-day um, uh, rafting adventure. Uh, into the Tullock Ard Gorge on the Snowy River. So oh, how divine. La- launched at Little River and then picked up just out of um, just Why out am of, I a volunteer guy? <laughs> 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 uh, that would be much more exciting than anything uh, I've done. Apparently that was a remarkable oh, field trip. That yeah. would have been incredible. Uh, incredible, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yes, we've been out, out and about making our contribution to the that fire sounds recovery. Sounds so exciting. Just on fire still, sorry, Virginia, um, Brett Summerall, who is the Director and Chief at the Botanic Gardens in Sydney, Sydney yeah. and a pest and disease Guru. Plant pathologist expert, that's probably yep. a better way of yep. saying it. Yep. Lovely man. Recently was in Narrow Neck Plateau in the Blue Mountains, right. which is just like directly west of Sydney. And the pink flannel flowers, <laughs> which is an ephemeral species, yeah. needs fire for germination, are in absolute carpets through that plateau at oh the moment. Oh, God, that's extraordinary. How beautiful. Yeah, so... Can you load that onto the Facebook? That's amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to Please. Lizzie to share onto our Facebook. Yeah. Uh, it's absolute carpets and carpets of this pink flannel flower. Extraordinary. It's just absolutely beautiful, yeah. Regeneration. Yes. Right, we're going to Alice in Brunswick. Hello, Alice. Good morning, Alice. Morning. Um... My question is about a lemon tree that I planted four months ago and it is looking very sick and losing its leaves. And the leaves are quite light coloured. Um, where where did you things. plant it, Alice? So I planted it, um, well, it's north facing, though it'll go a bit of shade, a little bit of shade in winter. And it's a semi-raised garden bed. So the soil, the soil's okay and I have a few other things in the bed that are doing well. So it's just this lemon tree that looks terrible. Mmm. Lemons are the the litmus test for nutrients usually. Um, it might be a nutrient issue. It, it's likely a nutrient issue. What did you say? What sort of soil you had it in, Alice? Um. Well, it's it is clay soil further down, but I've raised it about twenty centimeters. So it's. Okay. 
it's it's okay. It's not fantastic, but um, I have put compost and a bit of a kind of diluted urine for the nitrogen, mm-hmm. which um, hasn't really affected yeah the leaf the leaf color. So I also don't want to kind of nuke it with fertilizer either. No, definitely not. Um, is is the soil wet? Um. It's not that wet where the where the tree is. I'm, I'm giving it a really deep water about once a week, yeah, that's depending good. on how much rain we get. Yeah. So I don't not, think it needs a deep water. How, no, citrus have shallow root systems, so it's probably good in the 20 centimetres of soil that it is in at the moment. You might be better off doing maybe two or three lighter waters. Okay. Maybe even just two lighter waters um, during the week. And yeah, sure. And maybe get one of those little pH testing kits and just have a look at what your pH is because pH pH determines the availability of of a whole suite of nutrients. And if your pH is too high or too low... Well, I think with lemons, if it's too high. Yeah, too high, yeah. Um, So it might just be worth um, doing a pH test just to see... Where, where it sits, uh, and then you could make adjustments there if, if, if that's required. Um, I mean, lemons do take a, a, a little bit of time to, a, to establish. How big was the pot when you put it in? Was it in a large container or a tube? Oh, it, was, it would have been oh, about 20 centimetres 20 centimeters in diameter. Yeah, okay. And how tall was the plant, just out of interest, when it, when it was uh, planted? Well, I mean, it's still exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, um, <laughs> Oh, 1.2 metres, maybe. Okay. The thing that would worry me is the colour of the leaf. Mm. And I think testing the... Doing the... And those tests are not expensive, not difficult to do. Is it the older leaves or the newer leaves that are yellowing off? All of them. So it's it's consistent on all leaves and um, they're yellow in the veins. So they're light colour That's everywhere. and then they question. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it sounds it sounds like nutrition. It could be it could be something like iron. That that into it's that that mottling of of the you can see the so the the veins are green and the, the veins are yellow. The veins are yellow. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could be trace elements. Trace elements. So and there are trace element fertilizers that you can get, which you might well, only I've have to feed it a couple of times. I've done the trace elements. Um, I, I, I feel the pH is absolutely essential. Yes. Yeah. So you yeah. might have done the you might have done the trace elements and all the good fertilizers, but if the pH is out, then the plants Can't aren't going to be able to absorb those nutrients because those nutrients are immobile. They can't move through yeah. the soil water if the pH isn't at the right level. So if I test the pH, I'm assuming it's actually probably on point because every other part of my garden I've tested the pH and it's at the right level. So assuming the pH is neutral, well, are lemons just finicky and maybe I should put something else there? They're, they're, <laughs> they're greedy feeders. They're they like hungry. a lot of food. They're really hungry. Yeah. There's a lot of energy production that goes into their leaves and particularly their fruit um, yeah. production as well. So you might just need to feed them more with compost and, um, and, you know, pea straw mulch sure. and some extra, you know, um, dynamic lifter or organic fertiliser pellets. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 sa- right. it does sound like a nutrition thing, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear because I wasn't sure if there was, might have been something funky going on with the roots because I've, you know, heard that lemons are pretty finicky about their roots, but, but they, I'll... They really don't I like mean, their wet root, roots they don't want to sitting yeah. wet. So just be careful with the watering, but I think try the pH stuff as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Good Great. luck, Alice. Good luck. Thanks, Alice. All right. Bye. We've got a lot of people coming through. Who are we going to talk to next? Virginia? I... Hello. Who is anyone on the line? No, could you just go back to what you were talking about? Uh, <laughs> first elementary question of the year. Yes. <laughs> That's really good. Everyone always says when you say you're on radio, they're like, oh, but you get heaps of lemon tree calls. I'm like, actually, there's not, no, that, there's many. not that many. No. No. But I could talk about lemon trees till the cows come home. <laughs> yes, now indeed. we're talking to Because, Darlene. well, you and I used to grow a lot of lemon trees when we worked at the we zoo. Did, for interesting reasons. Yeah. But Darlene, have we got you online? Yes, I'm here. Great. Thank you. I'm one of those. Uh, I've got a, um, a, it's a Nico. Um, I've got a jungle garden. Um, I, I, ten years ago, I came up to Druin and I tore out all the grass. Um, Good. And then all natives in, and it's now my front yard is classified. I've got a woman that walks past with her grandson, and she, they, we're going through the jungle. <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> And on the other side, I've taken out the nature strip and um, I said, oh, look, I'm sorry. The guy was riding through with his little uh, son on their bike. And I said, oh, sorry, I'm getting a bit overgrown. He said, oh, no, you can't do that. They love it, the kids. It's a ju- it's their tunnel. It's, it's the Druin jungle. Yeah, so it's a, it's a tunnel as well. But what it is, I've got a lot of stuff that's... Um, sort of getting too big and, and wielding for me and I'm cutting them back and and also things are dying. Is that 10 years? Is that sort of a time when a lot of them... It depends on what depends on what you've been um, uh, planting. Have it depends you, on the plants. Yeah. So what what sort of things have you... Do you, do you know some of the, the, the plants that you've been planting in that in your jungle garden? I'm pretty bad, but I did get a lot of them from one of the um, nurseries. She did her own nursery stuff, and I got a, most of them from there, and they were the natural ones, of a lot of them from this area. Okay. But, but there are grevilleas and calistamins, but a lot of, um, because I'm on a slope and it's very water, we've got water all the time up here. We have beautiful soil. So I put a lot of um, um, reedy type grasses in, okay. and they're very wild because there's been so much water. I think one but of the things that happens, Darlene, definitely happened to me, was that I planted things too close. Now you do that when you, and so what you then have to do as they grow is you've just got to thin some of them out and say, I loved you, but I can only have yes. one of the two. And some things have to go. Because when things are small, you plant them too close, and it looks better because you've planted them close. But as they grow into proper sizes, it just doesn't work. So I and, think you must just grin and bear it and, and take some and stuff take out. take some things out, yeah. I think that's quite important. And 10 years is a very natural time for that to start to happen. Yeah, and, and what I think, because it's so much of a jungle, I thought, oh, this lovely plant that I've got, and I got it up here, so it's one of the native ones, and it, I thought, gee, that, I thought it was further back in the garden, and what it done was I found it, it had actually moved across, in, so it got more sun from the, the driveway, 
it was this beautiful um, sort of a hibiscus, native hibiscus. Yeah, so just reaching for the light. Yep. Yes. It does sound like, um, as Virginia is suggesting, that it's planted a little bit too tight and it would be good to give things a little bit of room. They need air well, and they need, some of them will need more sun. Yeah. What I've up the back, I've got a lot of them I've pulled out. They've died. And it's now that the soil is not very good. There's nothing in it. What's the best way? Compost. Yeah. And maybe some, uh, if you're down there, you might be able to get some good manure. Sheep, oh, okay. cow, whatever. And mulch on top. Yeah. And again, peace okay. straw. Just put, peace if you straw. can get some um, manure... And put the manure yeah. down and then put the pea straw over it and just leave it for a, a month or two and let that just get into the soil and start improving the quality. Okay. Yeah, well, we've got plenty of stuff down here because we've got lots of exactly. cows. Yeah, cows, <laughs> cow poo, sheep poo, fantastic. Okay, then. What about chook poo? Yes, yes, yep, all of it. And, and okay. then cover it with... Um, with some pea straw so that you can actually get... So that gives the worms the chance to come up and pull that stuff down into the soil. And I think I'll have to... Um, the, the chooks go up there, so I'll have to sort of fence it off so they can't go. There. Oh, no, it's good. Let them go. They'll wander around. Chooks, it's a perfect place for the chooks. Let them go. They'll poo. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, then. Well, thank okay, you darling. Much. Thank you. Good Bye. luck. We've got Lovely everyone show. calling in at the moment. Right. And we are now going to line eight, which is Alex from Beaconsfield. Hello, Alex. Hello, and it's marvellous to have you back. You didn't speak to me for so long. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't take that personally, Alex. <laughs> I, uh, I had to depend on Megan Backhouse for uh, inspiration and ideas. And, Not a bad uh, consolation so prize. John asked you about what what we did. Well, I had success on some things and total failure on another one. Megan had a paragraph where she said that you could grow potatoes, or a fellow in England had been successfully growing potatoes in a sack. Yeah. Okay. So I built on that and put... <coughs> I just... <coughs> excuse me. I just... Uh, put a couple of made chips from uh, Dutch cream potatoes and put them in and then kept building up layers and layers and uh, the disadvantage I found was that uh, I didn't know when to to tip them out because Mm. they're harvested in one go Mm. well when we got to that great occasion we tipped them out onto a uh, a tarpaulin on the driveway and I would now claim to be the only bloke in Melbourne who grows cherry potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> a bit early. <laughs> we, oh, maybe it was too early or maybe I didn't pump enough food into them, had, I don't had, know. Had the plants died down, Alex? Had the, well, the, the tops died down a bit? Sorry? Is there... Had the tops of the potatoes, the, 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 the foliage, had, had, had that started to die down? Was it in flower? Because there's a couple of triggers with the potatoes, oh, aren't there? we got flowers, and I waited until they wilted. Yeah. But never mind. They're, they're beautiful, tiny potatoes, but uh, they might be about 
$40 a kilogram if you cut them. <laughs> so well, quite, quite literally the size of a marble? Uh, they'd be uh, round, bit bit larger than an olive. But <laughs> never mind, they're quite edible, so we're, we're still getting through them. Uh, how are you but, going peeling them like that, that size, Alex? Oh, no, we don't fill around peeling them. <laughs> Don't need to they're young. Perfect for a potato salad. Perfect for... I, yeah, I, yeah, so... I can imagine they're, making they're pa- right. potato gems out of them as well. Oh, yum. Mm. I wouldn't repeat that method at any rate. Or oh, I, I think, did, I I think the method was fine, it. Alex. You just... Um, You're too impatient. And what... The other thing that you need to do is work out a way... So... Act, if, you, if it can be a bit more of a container, so you can put a bit of a door in it and you can go in and see. And there are, there yeah, are containers right a bit like that. Yeah, right you can buy bags. It is a good idea because in my place, the potatoes are a weed because I've grown yeah. them in, yeah, in the veggie yeah. garden. Once they're in there, there. And yeah. Yeah. along with the mint, I can't get same. rid of them. did have a success, though, and that was stirred peas. Nice. I bought just uh, seeds and smoked stuff from Bunnings a couple of years ago and didn't plant them and that was ridiculous. I wondered if the seed would still be viable. But any rate, I put in a... Uh, I built up a cone of, of good soil and I've got an old concrete mixer so I mixed in coarse propagating sand and you know prepared the soil, I think, pretty well planted the seeds and only two germinated and one's a runt but the <laughs> other one produced two flower heads only two flower heads but the flowers were spectacular fantastic so Beautiful. that was a fabulous result but then i had no cover or anything over them and when we had that severe rain yeah. was it last weekend or recently at any rate that just bombed the flowers and I'm not sure that the plant will recover. It looks pretty anemic now. Well, it was a fairly unusual summer. I think next summer you won't find it. You should do it again. And I love the idea of using the concrete mixer. Yeah, that's a great one. (laughs) Yes. But look, my main question really relates to an Australian rhododendron. It grew well and it flowered uh, very well. It's probably been in the ground now four years. Mm Mm-hmm. And we look after it, it's got shade over it and things like that. And the flowers are spectacular, but they were shy. They were underneath all the foliage. And I wonder, does, does that mean that I didn't prune it properly? So the question is, how do you prune an Australian rhododendron? I don't think you do. I wouldn't prune it. Or um, talk to your friend Roger. Yeah. <laughs> might know a bit more about it. But they're not something that I would prune. No, oh, I, well. I agree. I don't think you'd prune them. Why don't you pop into the rhododendron garden in the Dandenongs and ask and have a look at theirs there? I should go there, shouldn't it's I? It's lovely, yeah, should. and they do have a lot of rhododendrons. for years. Hmm. <laughs> right, I'll look, try that. But my, my thought, Alex, is that, that you wouldn't prune a, a, a native rhododendron. You, you know, it's got that kind of naturally dense habit. Um, right. And you know they're not a big, they're not a well. They can ultimately get you know reason, reasonably large, but they're you know they're a small shrub. Well, I'm pleased I rang because I've you people have taught me to prune to prune the waratah brutally immediately after it's flowered. <laughs> well, even and even still as it's still flowering, Alex. 
the the rhododendron. No, 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 the the, uh, waratah. the, the, the waratah. Oh, yeah. the rhodo does well. It, it's not as good as the ones at the Cranbourne Garden, but don't worry, it's not bad for a mug like me. <laughs> good stuff, mate. <laughs> thanks very much, thanks, Alex. Alex. Good to well, talk to you. Cheers, mate. And thanks for coming back and volunteering to do this wonderful work. All the best. Thank tonight. you. And with Alex mentioning that we um, are all volunteers, next week is our subscriber drive. So we really are hoping that some of our listeners will subscribe to the station to help support us. And keep shows on air. Keep, the show, keep this show on air. Keep yep. all the shows on air. Because there's no money coming from the government into this station. It's up to all of us to make sure that it does survive. So can I suggest to all of you, ring in next week and become a subscriber. That would be wonderful. Now we've got time, I think, for one more call, which will be line nine, which is Mary in North Fitzroy. Hello, Mary. Oh, hello. And I lucky to get in? <laughs> um, look, I'll cut to the chase. Good. I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you back. Um, missed you. Uh, I have a large boundary wall. It's brick wall. It's about 4.5 metres high. It's about 8 metres long at nor west. Yep. And we've just removed a really, really vigorous ivy. And um, it's a shame in many ways because it was like an ocean of green. Mm. And it was, you know, great for coolness for birds and refuge for them. And um, But it was just too vigorous and, you know, invading um, neighbours, et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to plant a kind of mixture of vines or whatever, cover, that would be um, some exotic maybes, but some natives, okay. but I doubt the natives would get to the top of it but um, we have loads of birds in the backyard loads of trees um how much sun is on the wall mary uh well in summer just total right total sun mm, winter um half shade that sounds fine the high buildings around look there are a bunch of natives that 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 uh would do that I, i'd be starting with the pandorias um yeah. There's a and there's a a, a, a range of different um, pandorias. There's jasminoides and pandorana, um, and there's cultivars of those as well. Yeah. And they're 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 quite literally woody woody vines, liana vines that um, in in nature can get you know right up into the canopy of a tree, ten fifteen metres further up. Um, so and, and bird attracting plants have often got those tubular flowers. Um, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. yeah, so I'd be looking at, at, at pandaria. In fact, you could probably just mix up a whole range of different pandarias. Yeah, you could get two or three varieties yeah. of them. And the biladeria. And biladeria. There. Yeah, and I that, think they are lovely. And the benefit of that, it also has a, 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 a berry, a, a bird lolly. Yeah, bird lolly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and the other thing I would suggest is that you look for, you actually, when you're looking trying to decide which ones you're going to put up. Put up some early spring flowers, some late spring flowers, sure. maybe a win- uh, summer flowering. If you've got room for three, see if you can get ones that flower at different times. Different times. Uh, if you've got a cool place for the roots, a clematis always looks fabulous. Mm. 
Um, the exotic and the native varieties. Mix yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Mix, mix up. You yeah. can have yeah. the exotic. And I mean, I've got creepers going up in my place, and I mix the clematis. The native clematis I've put on fences. I don't tend to put it there, but I've mixed billardieras and clematis together, and they flower at different times, and it's really very beautiful. Um, um, have you got a clematis that you that you like into the pink shades, maybe? I just wait till I see them. Tessalars often have them. If you have a look at Tessalar yes. online, no, nobody will have them at the moment. I think you'll probably have to wait to spring for yes. the... They really only sell them when they're, when they're in flower. Oh. Yeah. Um, but the native nurseries, Karanga obviously, and of course North Fitzroy, you can go to the one in Fairfield. Yep. Vink. Vink. Yes, yes. The, um, the Pandaria has got uh, the Jasminoides. Um, the, there are pink... Um, in fact, it's predominantly pink. There's a few white ones. Yeah. And, um, oh. But if you, if you like a pink climber, that's... It's probably a, a pretty good choice. And they're, they're controllable climbers as well. They don't get out of control. No, they and one of the things you must prune them after to do flowering. is to prune them. Yeah. yeah. And, and the rule, if you don't know what you're doing, is always prune immediately after flowering. Mm-hmm. And if you're after something super quick, some of the canidias will um, go pretty hard and be useful. Yeah, I have a canidia useful. that has put great big holes, well, not holes, but indentations in the branches of my grevillea. Yeah, right. It's through the woody trunk, yeah. through the liana, yeah, yeah. right. So, which, because I didn't prune it. Mm. Yeah. The canidias are fast, and there's one that is absolutely fabulous because it has black flowers, so it's very... Bold. It's a yeah. statement yeah. plant, yeah. but they are big. I think you're a bit more bold than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I think, I, think have a, I think have a look. Have a look online. Pop into the garden in Fitz... The garden... The nursery, I mean, in um, Brunswick Street and Fitzroy. See what they've got. Well, that's moved, you know. That's, um, oh, is it gone already? Big, uh, well, it's not gone. It's moved across the road and it's mainly doing indoor, indoor plants, plants while there's a development going on. And then, thank God, they're going to go back to their... I think they've been there 37 years and yeah. they just are wonderful. Annie and Simon, they're just the most marvellous people. So, um, well, the next, got, the, well, the other thing is to pop over to Vink and have a talk to them. Yeah, I will. Because it's not too far. Uh, and oh, they would, they would certainly have the native clematis, without yep. a doubt. Yep. And we must yep. go now, Mary, as we're out Thank you. at time. <laughs> Remember, everybody, <laughs> subscribe next week. I'm a subscriber. Thanks, Thank Mary. You. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.